Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, welcome to the Josh Marshall Podcast. I'm David Tainter. We are back with yet another convention recap extravaganza. I'm joined by Kate Riga and Summer Concepcion. How are you doing? Good. A little sleepy. Hanging in. Hurry <laughs> <Parry> through. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of late nights and one more to go until we catch a little bit of break for the weekend and then we do it all again next week. So (laughs) it's been a it's been a busy morning in the virtual TPM newsroom. We just before we came on to record this convention recap, we saw the news that Steve Bannon, President Trump's former campaign manager and eventual chief strategist in the White House, was arrested and charged with uh, conspiracy to commit uh, mail fraud and money laundering, I believe. This is part of an effort to uh, fund a border wall on the U.S. southern border. We Build the Wall is the organization. It's kind of, it was kind of a GoFundMe campaign, raised $25 million, uh, a million of which Steve Bannon allegedly siphoned off for himself uh, through a nonprofit that he controls. Kate or Summer, I mean, what are your kind of quick initial reactions to this news? <laughs> yeah, I have two two thoughts, one of which this is quite a week for the USPS. Is there an investigatory arm that nabbed him? So I don't know if we ever thought we'd see the mail in the news to this degree, but that and I don't know, what a gift to Democrats on the last day of the convention, having one of the, the biggest players in Trump world go down right before their grand finale. Like... I'm I'm just betting we're going to see something inserted. Someone's like, you know, doodling in a line about this in their speech right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel exactly the same. I automatically just thought to myself, okay, so how is this going to play out? Or I, I just wonder if any speakers tonight will somehow find a way to seg- segue that in. And also just the timing of this. You know, it's less than a week to go before the RNC. We're back to back. There's very little time <laughs> for yeah. the Trump campaign to exactly, you know, coordinate whatever their PR uh, stance will be with that. Right. And just a reminder for our listeners, this is now the second Trump campaign manager to uh, be hit with federal charges. So we had Paul Manafort first and now Steve Bannon. I guess Kellyanne Conway obviously has been spared. She was... Uh, the co- co-campaign chair, along with Bannon, towards the end of the 2016 campaign. So uh, let's get into the convention. Before we do, just a reminder, the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew. Great stuff. You can get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com using the promo code TPM. So last night, uh, night three of the convention featured a number of high-profile speakers, especially a number of prominent women speakers. We had Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, former Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, who was the victim of a a gunshot wound to the head back in, I guess this was 2010 or 11. Um, 
and has become a big advocate for gun control reform. And closing out the night was former President Barack Obama and Kamala Harris officially accepting the nomination for VP and delivering uh, the keynote address herself. So, Kate, what what stood out to you from last night? Uh, what were your thoughts of, of how the third night went? Um, I really liked it, but I also ended the night feeling pretty emotionally exhausting, exhausted because, I mean, it was just replete with like very, very heavy packages. I thought they were really well done. And one thing that they seemed to go out of their way to do was to make their representation as wide as possible. So, you know, in those packages, you had a lot of young activists and, um, you know, just kind of a wide swath of people who were who would open them kind of telling their experience and testimonials. And then it would transition into, you know, what has Biden done over his career to address, you know, domestic violence or climate change or what have you. And then transition into why we need a Biden-Harris administration to, you know, preserve and calcify those rights in the future. So I thought it was, um, you know, kind of continuing the theme of being quite well produced. But last night had a bit more, to me, um, kind of emotional hard-hittingness, whereas the other nights of the convention so far had been more kind of feel-good, unity, we got this. This one was more focused on the glaring issues that we're facing and the direness of them not being addressed should Trump win another four years. Yeah. Summer, what jumped out to you last night? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Kate just said. Um, It was just... I think what my takeaway from last night, especially with all the hard-hitting emotional segments, it's really highlighting how both Biden and Harris, it's, I think it's like the message of you can, you can see yourself in them. Uh, that's what particularly resonated with me, and whether it's from all the... Gen Z, young climate activists to prominent female politicians such as Clinton and Pelosi. Um, I, yeah, in the middle of all of these heavy topics, I actually think that was a way, it was a different way to, uh, I think, inspire hope in a lot of ways, even though I think it's just the Biden campaign is really capitalizing on the fact that they're just highly aware that this is a very trying time for us all but they want to acknowledge that, but also inject hope. And even as when Kamala Harris was doing her final speech last night, I have to say, I mean, I I could speak as a woman of color. I mean, I, regardless of where I stand politically in comparison to her, I mean, I, I really, really resonated with her message in how historical her vice presidential nomination is. Yeah, I thought the um, her line, there's no vaccine for racism, you have to just do the hard work, was a, was a strong line from that. And form, pr- former President Obama delivered a pretty feisty speech as well from the, I guess, the Revolutionary War Museum in Philadelphia. Anyways, he, in a way, he sort of piggybacked off Michelle's speech mm-hmm. in that, you know, Trump just can't rise to the occasion, he can't handle the job. What, what did you make of, of his comments last night? I also thought it was interesting that it was kind of like Michelle's in that they both built 
in emotion as it reached the crescendo of the speech. And I was really struck because obviously we know that Obama, uh, Barack Obama is like a very skilled orator and, you know, the kind of soaring hopeful speeches were hallmarks of both his campaigns. But he has this reputation for being, you know, very intellectual and cerebral. You know, the critiques of that would be uh, standoffish or kind of aloof. But I thought this speech, I mean, you could see the emotion rising in his face. You know, there was a point where he kind of paused and took a deep breath and then kept talking. And that was really similar to Michelle Obama's speech to me, where towards the end of her speech, when she built into that section about, I'm a black woman, not everyone's going to listen to my warning kind of thing. It, in both cases, it just like built, 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 built this emotional heaping up effect that then they both end with this charge of, you know, it's up to you. You need to take your future into your hands. You need to make sure we don't have four more years of this. And then just kind of ends with leaving you like breathless almost. Yeah. Summer, anything you would add to what Kate was saying? Yeah. I mean, it's a reminder that of Obama's eloquence. I, as someone who's always covering those Trump pressers, I think I've just in a lot of ways, admittedly, have grown numb to just how unwieldy his remarks are 24-7 and um, just even seeing just the way Obama delivered a very, I, I would say, it's very emotionally impactful speech last night. And he does it in a way that, yes, he's criticizing Trump, but he's not doing it in a way that is just directly, blatantly punching him down aggressively. Um, I found it admittedly refreshing in that sense. Um, and I do agree with Kate's assessment too, in terms of like the Obamas, I mean, that crescendo, that buildup towards the end and even the pause that Obama took last night, it's just, it's very impactful actually, those small moments of silence, taking a pause to just acknowledge that we're, we're all in this in a very tough time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go around and, and do some highs and lows from last night. Kate, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I think my high was when Gabby Giffords gave her speech. Um, you know, the gun violence package that led up into it was just gutting to begin with. You know, it started with Emma Gonzalez, who was a Parkland survivor, um, you know, had that one mother speak about her son being paralyzed by the stray bullet. I mean, it was just kind of, you know, hit on hit on hit on hit. And then you got to Gabby Giffords, who, you know, nearly died and then is up there on the stage giving a speech at the DNC. And I was just kind of, you know, bowled over in that moment by the her resilience and courage and that impression was really only deepened afterwards when I saw more tidbits coming out like that she'd been working with her speech therapist for nearly a year on that speech and I just found it completely inspirational and admirable um so I think that was my high um the low for me was probably I almost hate to say this but I thought the package introducing Nancy Pelosi was so good and so, um, you know, showed how much of a badass she is. And I love, love her quote that's, um, you know, the power of the speaker is awesome, you know. And I think it was just a really fitting tribute to the fact that she is the first and only female House speaker. But 
as much as I love all of that, she's just not the best public speaker. Of her myriad political skills, that is not one of them. But that is my small, you know, my small gripe with someone who's had an incredible and historic career, so. Yeah, I think that's fair. Summer, how about you? Yeah, I have two things that stuck out to me in particular, because in all honesty, I feel like because last night was pretty heavy in terms of the emotional impact, I didn't really focus much on, I guess, the thorns of, yeah, the the night three of the DNC. So I think the two moments that stuck out to me was definitely Gabby Giverds. Um, I mean, the fact that she had tweeted that short clip moments before the DNC was about to begin, that she worked very hard on her speech. That already uh, got me really emotional beforehand. And just, I mean, she's just really come a long way. And I, I myself am inspired by her for that alone. And then the other moment that stuck out to me, yeah, it's during, it's when that clip of Obama giving Biden the Presidential Medal of Freedom and Biden was just sobbing. I mean, he had to turn his back to the crowd for a moment because he was just so emotionally overwhelmed. And that was Obama's final um, award of that honor. That was the last of his presidency. Um, And it just, it really goes back to what I've been saying about, I think it's really been the Democrats' focus to just show that both Biden and Harris, they're they're human beings. They know what it's like to suffer. They know what it's like to experience loss. And I think I even blogged this last night. I just could not help but think when that clip of Biden receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom, I couldn't think of, I just couldn't help but think about how Rush Limbaugh (laughs) received the highest civilian award during the Trump's, State of the Union speech just earlier this year, pre, pre-quarantine. Um, it's, just, it's just such a wild contrast. I just have not stopped thinking about it, honestly. Yeah, I know. It's Thinking of everything that's happened in 2020 is enough to make your head spin, for sure. I would say mine, I, you know, we'll go three for three for Gabby Giffords. I think that was the highlight for me as well. This might age me a little bit, but I was actually an intern at TPM during that, uh, when that shooting took place in Tucson, Arizona. And, you know, it was one of the first, I guess, major news events like that of my sort of young career. And so, you know, that, that story has stayed with me and seeing her recovery and activism over the years, I think has, has been, um, you know, interesting and powerful to watch. And yeah, her talking about it's not easy for her to find her words, but here she is in front of, uh, you know, a camera and millions of people watching. I thought was a, a strong moment. I guess the low point for me, and maybe this is not quite a fair critique, but uh, I liked the previous nights that the keynote speeches were pretty intimate, pretty direct to the camera. Uh, you know, Jill Biden spoke in her classroom. Michelle Obama, I guess, was probably at home or somewhere kind of, you know, an intimate setting. But I thought Kamala Harris's speech in front of kind of an empty arena of reporters or an empty empty kind of room of reporters was didn't quite have the same resonance as you know a traditional convention speech in front of you know thousands of delegates and supporters would be it just is sort of it's it's like giving a live address in with the appearance of a crowd but without one and and for some reason that just I don't know it it 
felt a little bit dis- dissonant. What did you did you get that sense at all, either of you? Or I mean, was I was, I, I was paying more attention to Harris's remarks uh, because I wrote that closing speech uh, post last night. But I did find it. It was just odd. I think it was odd for the reasons that you just outlined, actually, because it just seemed impersonal. And it's just awkward to just, I think for a few seconds, I definitely got distracted seeing, (laughs) just trying to think, wait, how many reporters are there? Where is she? That's my take on it. Yeah, Yeah. I get that. But I, I guess my devil's advocate argument would just be you know, the, that moment and the historical import of it, you know, I don't know if we would have been fully satisfied seeing her sitting from her couch either, you know? I mean, it's kind mm-hmm. of a moment that does call for a stage, but I mean, I I totally see what you're saying in the whole, I felt bad for her at the end where she just had to kind of keep waving at the screen of people who were clapping. So it's just like, <laughs> the Zoom there are just some claps, parts yeah. of this you can't make natural. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point, Kate. All right. Well, that wraps it up for today. As a reminder, the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew. Get 20% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with the promo code TPM. And we'll be back again tomorrow to wrap things up with the DNC. Summer and Kate, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys.